0: Thank you. I am uh, privileged to be back with you, and before I start... (laughs) Before I start breaking things and throwing them around... (laughs) Before I start talking... Okay, I'm not going to touch that again. I just touched that. Okay. Um, I'm going to... Yes. Before I start... Talking, I'm going to dismiss our kids to their class, which is the fourth thing we will direct to the giant black tent. And this is my first time seeing it. So, kids, if you're here, if you know where to go, you already know where to go. If you don't, run to the giant black tent. Parents, if this is your first time here with your kids, you can run or walk to the giant black tent. You can even follow your kids back to their class. We can show you what we're all about back there. I get it. Okay. It's good to be back with you this morning and it's good to see you. Krista and I had an opportunity um, last weekend to be at a family wedding in New Hampshire. And um, I've always, you always hear those conversations about why do so many people live in Southern California? And, um, why is it so expensive to live here? Why do people keep moving here despite the earthquakes and despite the hot weather? And, but I figured it out because we had an opportunity to attend a family wedding in New Hampshire. I don't know if any of you have been to the East Coast. Probably not. It's really humid there. And humidity is horrible. I don't know why anybody lives on the East Coast or in the South, Sam and I have had this conversation before, it, it is not fun. You're just wet all the time. So we're really glad to be back with you and really glad to be back where it's just hot. Um, it was a great time though. We missed being with you, but it was, there's a real joy in witnessing a marriage between godly people who are submitted to the Lordship of Christ. There's a real joy in standing there during a marriage when two people are committing themselves to say that we are going to declare with our lives and with our marriage that no matter what happens after this, our lives are going to be a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Our lives will declare his faithfulness. They will make a statement about his commitment and his faithfulness no matter what happens. That's what we hear when we hear the marriage vows that say we're going to commit to each other in sickness or in health. We're going to commit to each other in poverty or in wealth. We're going to commit to each other in good times and we're going to commit to each other in hardship because that images Christ to the world. That's a picture of God's faithfulness. That kind of marriage and that kind of commitment is in direct conflict with a major theme of the culture that we live in today. It's actually in conflict with a lot of Christians today who would have us pursue only health, only wealth, only good times, only prosperity, and you may have heard this talked about as the prosperity gospel, or you may have seen the book in the Christian bookstore or in the Barnes & Noble bookstore if anyone ever walks into a bookstore anymore, I don't know called Your Best Life Now, right? Now, that's not just a dig at the author of Your Best Life Now. Some of you know who that is. I won't mention him because it's not an attack on him specifically. It's, it's a conversation about this whole idea that we are to pursue wealth and health and prosperity above all things. Get the most out of your life. Get the best out of life. Don't settle for anything less than the best. And the truth is, the idea of your best life now is a short story, and it ends badly. That's what your best life now means. Short life with a bad ending. When we're satisfied with the best that this world has to offer When we allow ourselves to be consumed by the pursuit of temporary things, we're missing the best of what God has intended for us. That's just the truth of it. And as we continue this morning our study in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going to teach us and he is also going to model with his life what it means to live as a child of God. And you will be surprised to find out that it's not all easy and fun Jesus is going to explain and he's going to model what it looks like to be an image bearer. And what we mean by that is what it means to be a representative of his Father. How do you live as a representative of God in the world today? In the same way that a godly marriage images God's faithfulness, Jesus' life will image God's character, and then Jesus is going to call on his followers, his disciples, to do the same thing. It should come as no surprise to us that this doesn't come with promises of health or wealth or prosperity, but it does come with a promise of blessing. In fact, Jesus says, if you live this way, if you are a child of God, you're already blessed. So you actually don't need to worry about those things because you already have blessing because you are a child of God. And I think if Jesus were to write a book on the subject, he would call it Your Best Life Later. I guess Jesus did write a book about it. It's called the Bible, but maybe it would be like a subtitle of the book. Your best life later. That's what we want to pursue as the followers of Christ. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, um, we brought some for you and put them on the seats around you. So you can look around and grab one of those, and you're welcome to use one of ours. You're actually welcome to take one of ours home with you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And if you're using our Bible, we're going to be on page 862 of the New Testament. So toward the back, when the numbering starts over, page 862. Excuse me. Before we get too far, and as we open the Word of God, let me just pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you for your word and I want to thank you for the truth of it and I want to just ask for your help. We want to hear from you this morning, Lord. So would you speak and would you elevate in our minds the things that are most important that we should hear from you this morning? And if there are things that are distracting or unhelpful, Lord, would you suppress those this morning? Help us to see that there is blessing in living a life that is pursuing things of eternal value. Help us to see that as children of God, we are already blessed and that there's great peace and freedom in that. We pray this in your name. Amen. I love it on Sunday mornings when we get quiet and we hear that. I love that because we're preaching the word of God in a high school. And if we can hear them they can probably hear us. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give that out as a little bit of challenge because after I get done yammering on, we're gonna sing together and I want them to hear us singing to our great God who exchanged his life for ours. Okay, so that's a little bit of a challenge for us this morning. Okay, Luke chapter six. What does it look like to be an image bearer of God? What does it look like to live as a representative of the king? We're going to look at a big chunk of Scripture this morning. If you're looking at your worship folder, you're seeing that already. So we're going to break this into three kind of manageable chunks. And there are some really significant pieces of this passage this morning. There are sections that we could spend a couple weeks on just by themselves. The Beatitudes are in our passage this morning. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. We could spend. We could do a whole series on the Beatitudes. But here's what I want to do this morning is just take a step back and look at the whole piece because there is some advantage to stepping back and looking at a big picture because I think we're going to see the heart of God in this this morning. What do we learn when we look at the whole thing? Here's what we're going to learn. I'm just going to tell you right up front. And then if you want to stop listening, you can, but I wouldn't recommend it. Okay? We're going to learn that the children of God are dependent on the Father. The children of God are empowered by the Spirit, and that the children of God are surrendered to living a life that makes a true statement about who God is and what he's like. The easy way to say that is that they're committed to living a life that looks like Jesus. So it's the easy way to remember what it means to live as a representative of the king in the world today as you remember the Trinity. Dependent on the Father, empowered by the Spirit, and a life that looks like Jesus which we are saying looks like a life that's surrendered to living in such a way that it says something true about who God is and what he's like to the world around us. Look with me in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named Apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, we'll stop there for a minute. The passage seems pretty straightforward, this first section. Jesus chooses from his disciples 12 apostles, Now, just as a point of clarification, what is the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Because we hear those used and they seem somewhat interchangeable to us. A disciple is, and anyone in our life groups I think would know this, because this is part of the curriculum that we're going through together and multiply. A disciple is a follower. So a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, a student of a master. Jesus has a lot of disciples. There are a lot of people already by this time in his ministry who are following him. But from those followers, he specifically commissions 12, 12 apostles. Now these are people to whom Jesus is going to delegate specific authority. They're going to have a specific task. These are men who are going to follow Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. They're going to be eyewitnesses to his ministry from the beginning They will be his companions, and they're going to be given specific jobs. Now, certainly part of what Luke is doing in recording this, because we're saying he's trying to give us an accurate picture historically, is just that we would know who the 12 apostles are. He wants us to know them, but I don't think that's the most significant part of this passage for us today. I think the most significant takeaway from this is the very first verse that we read. Jesus is dependent on the Father. And I don't know if you caught that when we started, but look at verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. How does Jesus choose the 12 apostles from all of his followers? What are the qualities that these men possess that Jesus sees and says, you're going to be the 12 that walk through me with everything? I don't know. Jesus spends all night in conversation with his father. He spends the whole night in prayer, discerning the father's will for who he would choose. And if you look through the gospel accounts, Jesus does this all the time. He models this to the 12 and to his followers. Jesus spends time with the father. He's dependent on him in prayer. Now, I don't know if that sounds odd to you, but it sounds a little odd to me. Jesus is dependent on the Father. Jesus is dependent on the Father, but he models that. And as we look at the big picture this morning, and as we look at the teaching of Jesus and the example of Jesus, I think that's the takeaway for us. Jesus is not this self-contained ministry machine that is sent down to earth that's going to do it all in his own power. It's It doesn't work that way. Jesus is dependent on the Father in prayer and he prays to him to discern his will and to get his wisdom. And that's what he models to us in decision making. That he goes to the Father. He gets alone. He gets away. He commits significant time, all night in this case. And how many times in Scripture do we see the disciples looking for Jesus and they find him away praying with his Father? So let me ask you, Do you recognize that you are dependent on the Father? If Jesus is dependent on the Father, then certainly we are. And do you live as if you're dependent on the Father? Do you actively pursue His will and His wisdom for your life? Because I think that's a real question we have to wrestle with because we all know that it should be that way. But let me just ask you to look at the last week or the last month of your life and say, Am I dependent on the Father? Am I actively pursuing His will and His wisdom for my life? When's the last time I spent all night in prayer seeking the will of God? Uh oh. Now, as a church, you recently allowed Krista and I to get away for a week. Seven days. Seven days for this exact purpose. Some of you are regretting that. (laughs) You sent us away on this week-long retreat, and one of the things that I noticed during that time is just how significant it is to get big chunks of time to spend with the Lord. Because how often do we make that time? How often do we create that space to say, Lord, I want to hear from you, and I'm going to give you more than a minute to do it. I'm going to give you some space, and I'm going to come before you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the counsel of others. and I'm going to wait to hear from you. How often do we do that? When is the last time that you removed some distractions even for a moment and said, I'm not going to answer a phone call. I'm not going to look at Facebook. I'm not going to respond to a text message for a whole hour. And I'm just going to spend time with the Lord. So I can give you I can give you an opportunity to do this. A week from this Tuesday, the 14th of June, we do an evening of prayer at our Whittier Hills campus. It's an hour and a half, an hour and a half. It's like forever that we just commit to prayer, prayer and worship. And that includes praying by yourself. It includes praying with a group. It includes praying for others or having others pray for you. It includes some time of responding in worship. And I've invited you before and I think it's significant and I think it's important that we would do it. But if you're looking for a first step to say, I need to become more dependent on the Father and I need to hear from Him more clearly, I would just say, Tuesday night, it's an hour and a half. Just carve out a window. And if you can't make it Tuesday, carve out an hour. Start with that. Start with 30 minutes. Be dependent on the Lord. If Jesus was dependent on the Father in prayer, then we ought to be. So Jesus is dependent on the Father. That's the first thing we see. Then look, starting in verse 17. Jesus is empowered by the Spirit. That's the second thing we said. It says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, because we know it's Jesus, this is not surprising to us when we read it. But if you think of it in the context of the people who are coming, why has this huge crowd come to see him? Young guy, early in his ministry, why are all these people here? Well, Luke tells us it's to hear him and to be healed by him. Why Jesus? What is so special about him that all these people would come? It says his disciples come, and then a bunch of other people come that aren't followers, but they want to hear Jesus, and they want to be healed by him. Why? Well, let's look back a little bit. Here's a man who teaches with authority. That's clear from Scripture, even just through the first six chapters. Even as a 12-year-old, Jesus was amazing people. Remember when Jesus is in the temple and it says people are amazed by his understanding of God's word at 12 years old. There's something different about him. Luke chapter 4, it says they were astonished at his teaching because he teaches with authority. It's different than what they've heard before. It says here's a man who heals with power. Luke chapter 5, we saw Jesus heal the leper. The leper who says, if you will heal me, I know that you can. And Jesus says, I will will, and he heals him. Jesus, who commands the paralyzed man to get up and go home, and he does. He heals with power, and everybody knows it. Here's a man who has authority over unclean spirits. We see that in this passage. We see that in Luke chapter 4. They were all amazed by Jesus, it says, because with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Everyone wants to touch Jesus because power comes out from him and heals them. It heals everyone who touches him. This power is the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because Luke's been really clear on this. So let me just walk you through some passages. You don't have to look. But Luke chapter 3, verse 22, "...the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove." At his baptism, we see the Holy Spirit come on Jesus. Luke chapter 4, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, it says, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, Luke says, in the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus' own words, he's saying where the power is coming from because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Luke chapter 5, the power of the Lord was with them to heal. Luke chapter 6, the power came out from him and healed them all. So let me ask us this morning, do we recognize that any teaching of the word of God, our understanding of the word of God, are made possible by the Holy Spirit? Do we understand that a prayer for healing Or a prayer for strength, a plea for strength to overcome sin in our lives is a plea for the Holy Spirit to do a work to empower us to do those things. Do you recognize the need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do God's kingdom work and be a follower of Jesus? Or are we simply just trying hard to obey all the rules? Because I'm afraid that's what we tell each other to do. How do I follow Jesus? Just do all this stuff. Well, that's a a lot. And it's hard. I actually can't, which I think is the whole point of the book. So now what do I do? And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because the more we understand it, the more we recognize how God has reached in and say, you can't, so I will. Not only does God meet us in our weakness and our broken state of sin and rebellion, not only... Does God rescue us by sending Jesus to trade places with us so that he would take on our punishment? Not only does God change our eternity by adopting us into his family as the children of God, but God also says, I recognize that you're currently in need before you're with me, and so I'll send the Holy Spirit, and he'll do a couple of things. One, he'll comfort you and bring you peace. And two, he'll empower you to live a life that looks like Jesus. When I say I'm gonna become a follower of Jesus, I don't just effort my way to look more like him because I can't, I can try. That's gonna be a very frustrating life. But if I surrender myself to him and say, Spirit of God, change me to be like Jesus, then all of a sudden, it's not me, it's him. And as I walk with the Spirit, I can keep myself from sin. That's what scripture says. Why? Because I'm so good? No, because God's spirit is in me, changing me to be more like Jesus. So we know that when we sin, we're not walking with the spirit. Jesus is dependent on the father. He showed us that example. Jesus is empowered by the spirit. He showed us that example. Jesus is surrendered to the will of God. This is a big chunk that we're going to take now. It's an amazing passage. There's so much we could take out of this. We're going to look at this as sort of a complete picture of a surrendered life. So look with me starting in verse 20. This is the Beatitudes. If you've never heard these before, never heard them called that, we're going to start with the Beatitudes and the woes. Verse 20, it says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, So remember, there's a lot of people here, not all followers of Jesus. Now he's looking at his followers and saying this. Lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. You see this contrast of now and later, your best life now or later. Now keep reading verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Do you see the contrast between these two passages? A lot of times we'll read the Beatitudes, we'll leave out the second part or the other way around. And they're set up the same way. This is what your life looks like right now. This is what your life looks like later. Jesus says, if you're poor or you're hungry or you weep or you're hated on account of me, the Son of Man, then rejoice. Rejoice. Uh, I don't know. That sounds hard. Why? Jesus says, if that's the case, you're already blessed. You're blessed. Because the same things were true of the prophets who were God's messengers to the world And you can't imagine the reward that is waiting for you in heaven. You are in good company if that's what your life looks like because you look just like the people that followed God and obeyed him and were spurned and reviled and abused for the sake of God's name. But if you are rich and full and laughing now and you're well thought of by everybody, look out. Because those same things were true of the false prophets who sought personal gain by telling everybody what they wanted to hear instead of speaking truth. You don't have to live a life of prosperity and wealth and health to be blessed. In fact, if your life is about the pursuit of those things, you're in trouble. Because that's as good as it's going to get. That's the point here. Is the point that you can't be wealthy? No, it's not the point. But what he's saying is if that's what you're pursuing, that's all you get. Your best life now is as good as it gets. And then you're done. That's why we say that's a short story and it ends badly. If you believe that your best life comes later, that's a blessed life regardless of your present circumstances because it's not dependent on your circumstances right you have the privilege of holding things loosely as you walk through life because your identity in Christ and your future in him are secure your identity and your future are actually too good to be true you can't imagine the blessing jesus is saying and as peter says in the book of first peter which we went through together this is a rough paraphrase you are a child of God who stands in line to gain this unimaginable inheritance. So who cares what happens now? Who cares what happens now? Just tell people why you can live with such peace and such joy in the midst of your difficulty so that people would know him. That's the whole point of the book of 1 Peter. Who cares? <laughs> right? Right? If we can hold our present circumstances loosely, if we can walk through life saying, I have confidence in my future, I'm free to live in a way that accurately reflects the heart of God to the world. That's where the rest of our passage this morning comes in. If you can live that way and hold things loosely and say, you know what, I don't need prosperity. I don't need wealth. I don't even need to be healthy. I need Jesus. That's all I need then it frees me up to live in a way that accurately reflects the heart of God. So look with me in verse 27. We'll finish the passage here. It says, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Here's the paraphrase. Who cares? Your best life comes later. Who cares what happens now? Of course your life in a broken world that's full of sin isn't all it's cracked up to be. What a surprise. It's not what God intended for us in the first place. So don't spend your time trying to make it great because it's not. Spend your time trying to show that God is great. That's the difference between a life surrendered to the Lord and a life that's not live a life that reflects the character of God accurately to the world around you. Like a newlywed couple who are surrendered to the Lord and say, our marriage will make a true statement about the character of God to the world, regardless of what happens, regardless of the circumstances that we face together. That's the statement that our marriage will make. That's what your life should be about. And if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, your life is saying something about who you believe God is. It is. The question is, is it saying something true? You hear that? If you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, your life is making a statement about who God is. The question is whether your life is making a true statement about who God is. And what we're hearing here in Luke's gospel is, hey, everyone can give money to people that are going to give it back. Everybody can be nice to people who are nice to them. That's not what God is like. Be like God. This is a great sentiment. Um, It's not a very pretty picture if you think about it. And I can say who cares and it can sound kind of glib, but we care (laughs) because it's our life. And it may be short in light of eternity, but it's long day to day. Jesus says, on my account, people will hate you, and they will curse you, and they will abuse you, and they will hit you, and they will take things from you. And when they do, you reflect back to them the patient, gracious, merciful, forgiving heart of God. You're kind to the unkind. You do good to those who don't do good to you. And when they strike you, you don't hit them back. And when they take something from you, you don't demand justice. When they beg of you, you give graciously. Here's why we can say, who cares? In the face of things that are truly difficult and truly hard. I don't know if anyone's ever been punched, but it's hard not to punch back. I don't know if anyone has ever had things stolen from them, but it's hard not to demand justice in that Here's why we can say, who cares? Because they can't take anything that really matters. They can't take anything from you of real value. They can't take your identity in Christ, and they can't take your future with him. They can only take stuff. They can only hurt you. That's why Paul says, again, I paraphrase this, you can't touch me. What he actually says is, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The sentiment is the same. You can't hurt me. I belong to God. What are you going to do to me? As long as I'm here, I'm going to proclaim the goodness of God. That's cool. If you kill me, I'm with him. That's even better. I'm untouchable. As a follower of Jesus, man, we can have incredible peace in that. What are we worried about? Verse 32, he makes the point that doing good is different from how the people around you are living. He says, love your enemies and do good, verse 35, and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus says, if you look like this, if you live like this, then you're God's children because you look like your dad, because God is merciful, and patient, and gracious. Jesus didn't just teach this. He didn't just come and say, well, here's all the rules, and if people are mean, you gotta be nice, and then go back to his beach house. Jesus didn't just say this. He said it, and then he lived it. I mean, think about what Jesus is saying in light of what he is about to do with his life. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what to do and then I'm going to show you how to do it. The very purpose of his life on earth was to display the character of God and to show mercy to the ungrateful and the evil. And by the way, that's you and me. The ungrateful and the evil. Lost to sin, immeasurably selfish and still largely ignorant of what the holiness of God really means. That's us. And Jesus said, let me show you how it's done. I'll tell you what to do, and then I'm going to show you. But praise God that our Father in heaven is kind and merciful, and despite our stubbornness and despite our rebellion and despite our rejection of him, he, ex- he extends an offer of salvation to us, and he says, you can be a part of my family. In fact, I'll trade places with you so that you can be with me. And then we read these verses... We know that, but we read this verse and we think, I can't give money to everybody who asks me for money. (laughs) I can't do that. I can't just turn away when someone hits me. Someone's taking things from me. I'm not going to help them and give them more stuff. That's not fair. And I just feel Jesus in that moment whenever I declare that, saying, really? That's not fair. Tell me more about fair. I want to hear more about that. As I hang on the cross in your place, you want to have a conversation about fair? I'm, I'm not concerned about fair. I'm concerned about the children of God looking like their dad so that a world of people who are lost and without him would know what he's like. When I think about this, I just feel like I have to repent. That's what I feel when I read a passage like this because I don't know if my life looks like this. It's so easy for me to get caught up in me. It's so easy to pursue what is comfortable or what's easy. It's so hard to hold things loosely and simply just trust God and take him at his word. But here's what God says. You're already blessed if you're following me. If you're a child of God, relax. You're already blessed. And what's coming next, you can't imagine. And haven't I shown that I am trustworthy? Yes, he has. I can pursue my best life now. That is a short story with a bad ending or I can pursue my best life later, which means I'm gonna live as a child of God, I'm gonna recognize, even when it's hard, I'm blessed, even when it's hard. I gave you that kind of a way to remember this. If you think of the Trinity, Father, Holy Spirit, and the Son, here's a way to take this home, we'll end with this. Children of God are dependent on the Father, they're empowered by the Spirit, They live lives that look like Jesus. Am I dependent on the Father? Are you dependent on the Father? Are you dependent in prayer? Are you devoted to spending time with Him? You committed to seeking His will for your life? You committed to seeking His wisdom? Or are you just managing the best you can on your own? Willfully or not, that's our default. I'll go to God when I'm in trouble. Other than that, I can handle it. Am I living a life that's dependent on the Father? Jesus was what makes me think I don't need to be. Am I empowered by the Spirit of God? Am I inviting the Spirit of God into my life to do a transforming work in me and through me? Or am I just going to effort my way to look more like Jesus? I'm going to read a passage like this and think, I better give some money away. And I better, I mean, I got to make a list of stuff to do to be more like Jesus. That's not bad necessarily, but when I think I'm going to do it, that's a problem. Am I inviting the Spirit of God into my life and say, change me and make me like this? Because I can't do that. Do I look like Jesus? Does my life look like Jesus? Am I gracious and am I patient and am I forgiving and am I merciful? Do I hold my things and my time and my dreams like this (laughs) and say it's okay? It's okay if they go away. You know why? Because I'm blessed. Because my identity and my future are secure in Christ. Or am I seeking to build my best life now? Let's be followers of Jesus that seek to reflect what our dad is like to a world that has no idea how good he is. Can we do that? Let's be people who follow Jesus and say, my life is going to reflect to the world what my dad is like so that they might know what he's like and that they might know how much he loves them because they see it and they see it expressed through my own life. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are too good to be true. And we're so, so grateful for your example. Thank you that you didn't just tell us, but you did it. But Lord, we ask that we would respond in a way that is true, that we would respond in a way that reflects that we understand that it's true. That we understand how much you love us, even to some degree. Lord, we invite your spirit to do a transforming work in our hearts and in our minds. That we might accurately reflect to the world what you're like. We pray this in your name. Amen.